This is the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, Eli Cohen. Eli, good to have you back. What's up? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good, good. And making his TKW pod debut. You've seen his name on a bunch of draft profiles and a couple of guys we're going to talk about today. Dylan Bird. Dylan, what is up? Welcome. Not much. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I've been, been waiting to make my debut, and it's finally here. Ah, happy, happy to have you, and hopefully this is the first of many. So before we get into the draft, which is pretty much the only Knicks news for a while, Tom Thibodeau added his guys. Mike Woodson, former Knicks coach, was added along with two longtime Thibodeau associates, Andy Greer and Dice Yashimoto. Guys, did you have any reaction to this? I was happy to have Woody back, but it was more of just a, eh, like, cool, like Thibodeau. Got his guys after he let the front office pick his pick their guys. Yeah, it seems like a good compromise between letting Leon Rose get first shot at the guys that he really wants and putting them in sort of like the higher up positions, but like giving Tibbs a voice and making him feel like he's still got his people around him. So it makes sense. It's good to see Woody back. I'm hoping we're going to get to see that lustrous goatee on the sidelines <laughs> a fair amount. So, yeah, got no problems with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree all around. Uh, Woodson, happy to see him back. Uh, I know Thibodeau brought in his guys as well. I thought it was interesting um, to bring in the, that he brought in Kenny Payne. I mean, in terms of, like, looks like they're definitely trying to stress player development a little bit, um, which makes plenty of sense. So, Yeah, it's long overdue with the player development side. Yeah. But I also – I think – I believe it was Dice that's actually the video coordinator – who came up as a video coordinator. I don't know why. Maybe Spolstra came up that way. Now, anytime I hear that, I get immediately excited for some reason that we'll actually have a smart person on the staff. But all in all, just I feel like that was most of those were supposed to be a development guy for Utah. And, you know, we've seen the success that they've had. So mm-hmm. it really does seem like they're finally starting to put the emphasis in the right place. Right. And I've talked about it Monday, um, their commitment to player development, but not – kind of jumping the gun on that. And we'll talk about it more when we talk about the draft, but I want them to try and work with this group now. And then we can start talking about taking project picks because right now it's just a host of mediocrity, which kind of transitions us into the 2k ratings that were released today. In case anyone didn't follow the Knicks will suck in 2k 21. So I'm just going to rattle off ratings and you guys tell me too high or too low. Sound good. Sounds good. Okay. First up, we got Mo Harkless, 72 overall. I feel like that's that's mm-hmm. about right. right. Sounds good to me, honestly. Yeah, I think that's about fair. I, you know, you go up to like 74 or whatever, but that's about his range. The 69 boys are Reggie Bullock, Iggy Braz, Theo Pinson, and Kenny Wooten. See, I think Reggie Bullock is a fair amount better than those guys. Like, Reggie Bullock's a helpful player. He's not great, but, like, I, he, he's got to be, like, a 75, 76 dude can shoot and play some defense. Like, he could help out any team as a, you know, bench wing. 
yeah, I mean, at least Bullock was is a veteran in the league. He's been around the league, you know, a few years now. And before he got to the Knicks, he was actually able to hit the three pretty, pretty, you know, pretty consistently. So I, I would probably expect expected him to be at like 75, 74. Having him at 69 seems a bit low, especially with the group he's in there. Yeah, expect, and then look at the 72 crew, which makes – this is where I start to get a little angry. Kevin Knox is a 72. I think he should be part of the 69 club. Wayne Ellington, a 72. Dennis Smith Jr. is another one that should be like a 70. Yeah, uh, Reggie Bullock is better than all those dudes. Yeah, yeah. like by a considerable margin too. Mm-hmm. And then above them you have the last remaining pieces of, what, three regimes now? Frank Nielakina and Damian Dotson, both getting 73s. I might be a little more bullish on Frank, obviously. I think Frank's good enough for like a 75, just off defense alone. 73 is like – I think he was like a 71 or 72 last year, but I still feel like it's a little too low. I'm I'm pretty okay with them at 73. I think they could be anywhere with the, within like 73, 74, 75 range. Um, obviously, Dotson and Frank are two guys that we've all spoken about as guys who could – you know, we want to make, we want to see make that jump higher. So we'll see what happens, you know, this upcoming season, especially, you know, we don't really know if they're going to retain Dotson, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's another problem I have. Alfred Payton and Taj Gibson are on the next team. And Bobby Portis are on this team and I can't stand it. And this is where I really, this is probably my only real point of contention on this whole roster. Taj, Alfred and Bobby are 78s. RJ Barrett's is 76. Yeah, I hurts. think it should be flipped. I think that should be flipped. Like, I feel like RJ is getting the classic Knicks regression. Anybody that – I feel like the real rating is always subtracted. Like, they subtract two or three because 76. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just – Portis, I, yeah, he's – RJ is definitely better than those guys. I mean, they have a little bit more of, like, an established name in the league, I guess. Um, and if you're just kind of – you know, doing the, as we mentioned before, like the Zach Lowe, look at his advanced stats. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Like, put him there. But he's definitely better than Alfred Payton. He's better than Bobby Portis. But it is what it is. You know, if he had had a better year, he could have had a stronger claim to be ranked higher. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd put Portis and uh, Taj probably down at the 75 range 76 and then rj rj should probably be a tad higher than them i i I get i get that they look at this season they're like all right he didn't shoot great um he may have been just you know the reason his points were at 14 is maybe just because he's on a bad team but i I think rj is definitely better than those two for sure i'm terrified to see what the grade they gave for rj's perimeter shooting (laughs) because it was already kind of rough last year I'm, i'm terrified but um yeah i'd just be interested to see what he is compared to some of like the other wings like I'm guessing, like, you know, in that draft class, I mean, I'm guessing Tyler Hero is going to be higher than that. I, I'd yeah. like to see him compared to, like, Cam or, like, KPJ, uh, Kevin Porter. Like, mm-hmm. that that's really where I'd be interested in to see how he ranks up with those guys who sort of showed that promise, but, like, more than we expected, but still had kind of, like, up and down years versus RJ where we expected big things coming in. And he still had a similar up and down year. But I think because – of where he was drafted and like how he came in as the number one prospect over Zion, like coming into the, the college season, his up and downs are a little bit less forgiven than like guys like Cam or Kevin Porter. Right. Yeah. I think I would throw Darius Garland there too, because he didn't have that great of a rookie year. So I think he would, I think he's good, but I got to see where he is and then I'll decide how angry I am about RJ. But 
rounding out the Knicks at the top, Mitchell Robinson, 83, Julius Randle, 82. I feel like Randle's actually spot on. I feel like he's not a bum, but he's not elite or above average. And I think Mitchell Robinson, for what he does right now, 83 is pretty solid. Maybe 84, maybe 85, but I feel like they're in the ballpark with those two. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I'm happy to see Mitch up there. Uh, they gave him some respect, so that's nice to see. Yeah, he was yep. – I remember last year was – you had to use him in franchise mode until, like, he eventually developed to a 91. <laughs> felt so good. But that's who the Knicks roster have now. Let's focus on the draft. So, since the lottery, I've kind of narrowed down my radar. And I've kind of decided on the fact that if OB falls – I think I'm going to take them. Am I, Eli, am I crazy? Well, you know, I just put out a big thing about how, you know, the potential of like a Obi Toppin, Mitch Robinson front court to eventually be kind of a lob city thing. If you could get a point guard who could, you know, actually throw lobs, that's not Alfred Payton. Um, and so I think that there's definitely appeal. And like one of the things that I was come back, coming back to in that piece was how, you know, since we don't really know how this front office is going to operate, but it seems like they are pay- they are looking to like 2021, both the draft and free agency. It seems like they're taking a kind of more careful and patient approach. But these guys are also, you know, make shit happen kind of executives. So I, OB to me seems like a way that you get someone who can produce on day one and like actually start like, you know, raising the floor a little bit and versus you know someone who might be a little bit more of a project like you know someone like Poku or Kira Lewis these like younger guys who might take a little bit more time um so he's not my top choice with that uh even if he falls I think that there are a lot of questions about how useful his skill set is going to be if he can't make some like pretty considerable improvements on stuff that's pretty hard to improve on like his flexibility and lateral quickness and the fact that his center of gravity is like in the middle of his chest um but i i do think that there's something to be said for just getting in solid players who can contribute on offense and i think that he and mitch have a nice you know offense defense one two punch yeah, I mean, in terms of Obi Toppin, I've pretty much I, – I don't think he's going to fall to the Knicks. Like, I, I don't think there's a chance of that just because of how good he was this year in college in a weak class. I feel like that teams that are in the top seven, you know, ahead of the Knicks, one of them is going to is gonna take Obi before before the Knicks are, are picking. But if Obi were to fall, personally, it'd be – you know, obviously, depending on who's there, it'd be kind of hard for me to lay off just because I feel like getting that kind of production on a team – on a team that doesn't have like a lot of great play. I feel like just for me, I'm, I'm looking at guys who could produce right away. Um, I'm kind of tired of picking project picks and I'm sure you guys agree with that. Um, And I'm definitely looking strong, strongly at production here. And I understand the concerns with OB on defense. Um, But I do think that he does, he would fit pretty nicely next to Mitch. Um, You know, he could shoot. Uh, He, I think OB is the type of guy he's going to, he's probably going to come into the league and score probably 14 or 15 right away in his rookie year. And you're going to have all the guys on Twitter debating, well, was he actually that good? Like, look at his advanced stats, but I think Obi's going to produce, um, you know, whether his ceiling ends up that high is going to depend on how much he can improve on. Like you said, those other things, defense um, and other smaller stuff that might be harder to improve on. My concern is jump shooting, Eli. Eli, how's his jump? Like, do you, how much do you buy into his jumper? Because, 
for me, that's my concern. Him not being a good defender, I can live with just because of the personnel the Knicks already have. But if he can't shoot, I feel like he's going to be really limited in games that the Knicks have to win because he's going to – right now he's definitely the one or two option if he jumps into this roster from day one. So I buy the shot. Um, I think there's a question the, – the valid question is, like, is he going to be a low-volume three-point shooter or can they turn him into something of a high-volume shooter? Because that's really going to be the difference. If he can be, you know, a six-attempt guy a night versus uh, – I think he took, like, two-and-a-half-ish, maybe a little more than two-and-a-half this year. Yeah, 2.6. Like yeah, yeah 2.6. Right. He, so he shot a good percentage. He's not, like – I don't think he's going to be shooting off the dribble and I, I don't, I don't know if he's flexible enough to run off of like pin downs and things like that. But I think like if you can get him to be a medium high volume shooter, I think he'll be able to make them. Uh, it's like, he's got a little bit of a slow release, but I think like with a shooting coach and this, like the wide open space that an NBA team provides, I actually do think that the shot is there. And the other thing with his shot is, he's a pretty good ball handler and a really good passer. So I think just the threat of his shot opens up a lot of stuff um, in terms of getting into his off the dribble game, which I think also kind of works with both RJ and Mitch. But I think like, you know, you could see him and Mitch having a nice uh, kind of like high low game where I think you could give top in the ball attacking a closeout and expect him to make the right read, which is like something that differentiates him from, you know, other guys who you see comparisons to like, Jaleel Okafor or Julius Randle or, you know, uh, all these guys who sort of Enos Cantor, even like I've seen all these comps on Twitter and the thing that differentiates him is I think that kind of high level of passing, like he makes really impressive reads and he can do it off the move. So I think that you can see him kind of making quick passes and getting the ball moving. And then like, if you can get him to like relocate, then I think you can actually, leverage his shot and give him some gravity to start attacking shifting defenses where he can kind of pick apart, you know, find the right option, whether it's kickouts or dump offs to Mitch at the rim. Yeah. And one, and one thing, one thing you mentioned, you just mentioned that group of players, Okafor, um, Randall, one thing that Obi blows those guys away and is just his, his pure athleticism. Like the guy jumps out of the gym. Um, and I just, I think that there's like a lot more to work with compared to those yeah, Mm-hmm. And those guys all sort of like, they all take one of the things that really frustrates me about all those guys, but especially like, you know, seeing Randall on the team this year with like Alfred Payton and RJ Barrett is like, even Frank, like these guys are all people who need the ball in their hands for a long time so that they can kind of make a decision because the decision making process is so slow for them. Whereas Obi can move the ball quickly, he makes quick decisions. And for me, I've put it in a couple different articles, but I think that's got to be one of the number one things that they're looking at this year is it's like shooting obviously is a huge need, but they just need people who make quick decisions because that offense was just so slow. And like when Morris was there too, it was the same thing. It was just everyone like sizing the defense up for eight seconds, trying to figure out what to do and then making some like very obvious and predictable moves. So if you can get people who make quick decisions and, you know, not necessarily like the simple reads, but Obi can make like skip passes across the way, even out of traps and things like that. Uh, I think that that is a huge thing that they need to be looking at, especially with like RJ Barrett, who again is going to sort of take a long time to read set defenses and figure out what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah I think I, they have to be on I, the. Yeah, they have to be on on the run. I think that's why my only reservation with Obi is I would definitely want a point guard that can get up and down the floor. 
because I think that's where RJ Barrett's at his best right now. And until he improves that jumper, he's not really going to be that effective in the half court to begin with. So I do, if they do go OB, I do think that you need like someone like Alfred, even just not Alfred, <laughs> someone that can like knows how to run the show. I think Frank's shown moments where he could get there, but I don't know. Like Tyrell Terry, for example, if they can get Tyrell Terry later in the draft, like that's that's a dream scenario. Just like someone that's also a threat but can just you know get out and run. Yeah, well, one thing that I've that I've I actually I wrote I wrote a piece on this, but one thing that I definitely realized with this draft is that it's definitely good. It's a it's a bad draft to be drafting up high, but it's a good draft I feel like to have picks you know, in that 27, 38 range where I feel like, I feel like the Knicks, if they do a good job scouting and drafting, they could get two pretty solid role players at those spots for sure. I, I feel like that there's a lot of guys to be found down there in this draft. When I think uh, going along with that, I think that especially the people that they brought in from Utah and, you know, what we know about Leon Rose and worldwide West is it seems like pretty, at least like the odds are pretty decent that they're going to try to move up into, you know, maybe like the mid, mid to late teens. Um, you know, that's what the jazz did for Donovan Mitchell. It's kind of seems like it'd be right up their alley. Um, and that to me is like the, the really sweet spot of this draft. Cause that's where like you have, you have less expectations and kind of like more interesting prospects who, you know, say like a Tyrese Maxey falls there or a, Josh Green, like Pokui, Tyrell Terry, like you said, Mike, like there's going to be some really interesting options in the mid to late teens that kind of like maybe in some ways more interesting than the guys at the top of the draft. Maybe not like the very, very top, but in like that mid lotto range. Yeah, I feel you. And would like someone like Cole Anthony, because we're going to, I wanted to talk about him anyway, might as well do it now. I think at eight, it would be looked at as a disaster if he does, he hasn't, you know, pan out. But he does, like, he can shoot really well. I don't really know why I'm sour on him. Dylan, maybe you can enlighten me. I don't know why. Like, he does everything I would want. I just feel like the Knicks spacing is terrible, and that was the biggest problem for him at UNC. But what are your thoughts on Cole first? And then is that somebody you would look like to trade back for, or would you even take him at eight? Yeah, so I've gone back and forth. Um, like, all, all year I went back and forth. And, you know, he was the guy that, when the college basketball season started, all the Nick fans are like, all right, well, if we're bad again, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to get Cole Anthony. But then once I, you know, once the season happens, which was, I mean, to call it, I, I think you could pretty much call it a disaster. The fact that UNC was so bad. Uh, he was really inefficient. He was injured for a little bit. Once I, you know, dug into the, dug into some, you know, some of the games that he played in um, some of the numbers, I'm, I'm pretty much out on him for the Knicks. Um, I think that the best case scenario for Cole Anthony is for him to go to a place where he could, you know, have a backup role for a while until he um, develops a little more. I also, I agree with you in terms of spacing, like it would be pretty much a disaster. I think if you, if you put Cole Anthony next to RJ Barrett next year, and you know that Cole, if he were on the Knicks, he'd be probably a starter from day one. I, I just think it's like setting him up to be inefficient and to fail because you're looking at a guy who, you know, he's a good, good shot creator, pretty good pull up jumper. Um, but he was extremely inefficient, thir shot 38% from the field. And the really, the one thing that really turned me off is he shot 39, 39.1% at the rim last year in college, which is to give you an idea of how bad that is. Like if you look at guys like in the NBA, Alfred Payton shot 57% at the rim, 57.5. Uh, Frank shot 56.7. And 
Dennis Smith Jr. in a horrible year shot 54.3. So, I mean, just to give you an idea of how bad that is at the rim. So I'm just out on Cole's fit for the Knicks in terms of his inefficiency. And I don't think the Knicks are a team that's going to let him, you know, sit, you know, take time to develop in a backup role before, you know, thrusting him into a starting role 30 minutes a game. Yeah, I think that that's all pretty, pretty on the nose. I mean, the idea of his inefficiency combined with RJ's inefficiency and, you know, God forbid Julius Randle's still there, like that is just a recipe for disaster. And that's not even getting into like the sort of shaky decision-making. I actually think that Cole's a better decision-maker than he showed this year. And I think, I really do think that the injury kind of limited him in terms of getting to the basket and in terms of his explosiveness more than he maybe gets credit for, but I still like, he was starting from a point that wasn't as good as I think a lot of people thought it might be. Um, I think he, I think he was less athletic than people thought he was in high school and he's a little bit more athletic than people think he is coming out of college, if that makes sense. Um, But like theoretically he's the perfect fit next to RJ from like a pull-up three perspective because this team just doesn't have anyone who can hit a pull-up shot but yeah I I think that there are going to be places that that he could go in this draft where we'll look back and it'll be like oh dumb Knicks passed up Uncle Anthony because look at how good he is now but I don't think that that place I don't think he would be that kind of player if the Knicks take him yeah I mean I'm looking at the middle of the draft right now if he falls down to Boston at 14 Portland at 16 or Dallas at 18, like Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even New be, Orleans at 13, I think. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be in a backup. I think he'd be role. great in New Orleans next to like Drew Holiday or something like that. Yeah. I mean, if he'll, any of those situations, he'll probably be in a backup role for a decent amount of time. And like, there could be a scenario where he ends up being like a six man and he may be a really, really good six man, but it'll be because he ended up in those really, really good situations. And if he had ended up on a bad team, that, that same thing would not have happened. So that's pretty much what I think on Cole. Yeah. And he seems like he needs a decision maker next to him. And like RJ, hopefully eventually will be sort of like a, a really high quality, like secondary decision maker. But I, I mean, like who's running the offense there. Right. I think RJ's capable of running the offense and stretches, but I really don't want, him being my point guard. I know people, some people really liked it at the beginning of the year. He did it for Duke for a stretch, but I, I just don't, I'd rather RJ focus on getting a shot, right. You know, being out on right. the And for stretches is good, but if you're asking him to be the full time point guard or, you know, primary initiator. Yeah. That's just, that's asking him, that's putting him in an equal position to fail as they put him in this year. Right. Yeah. And Cole, I mean, Dallas is a really great fit for Cole. Miami's another one I like. They're around. I think they're picking twentieth or twenty-first. Yeah, I like him. Yes, I like him to go there. But I just I've been firm on that. Like I him and Trey Young a few years back, where they might be great. And I was wrong in Trey Young in hindsight, but I just feel like if they were Knicks, they just wouldn't pan out nearly as good as they would elsewhere. And I'm I'm still gonna feel like that with Cole. But another prospect you covered, Dylan, was Devin Vassell, and that's kind of been the clubhouse leader in terms of fandom right now because everyone's kind of lowered their expectations in terms of LaMelo and, you know, the top of the draft. I feel I've watched Vassil. I watched two games last week. I loved each of them and he's constantly in motion, which I love. He reminds me of Doug McDermott in a weird way like that, where he just really doesn't stop moving and he defends some possessions. He defended three guys and 
So Dylan, what was your media, what was your immediate attraction? Because you were kind of first on that because your profile came out well ahead of the lottery and you were saying this is a good target if the Knicks were to fall. So what stuck out to you? Yeah. So the whole, the whole background of the cell is I actually have a friend that go, that went to Florida state and I know I saw Vassell's name thrown around on draft Twitter or like mid college basketball season. And I, you know, I asked my friend, I was like, like this Vassell guy, is he, he going to be any good? And my friend's like, like, yeah, he's, he's legit. So since then I, you know, kind of been watching some stuff and he's probably my favorite also for the Knicks of this eighth pick, you know, obviously depending on who's there, but probably if we, if what happened, if what happens is what is expected, then yeah, I, I think Vassell's probably my leader. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's, he's going to be a really, really solid three and D wing in this league, especially like the way the way the modern NBA is. I think he's a perfect fit. Um, he's like great size at six, eight, um, great length um, shot 41.5% on three, three and a half attempts per game from three um, 80th percentile in terms of spot up shooting um, defense is really, really good as well. And he kind of reminds me the way he plays. And I, this doesn't mean he's going to be obviously as good, but like his play style reminds me of Middleton a lot not really I mean just especially watching the way Middleton plays now and watching him last night like that really excites me about Bissell and again I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be as good but his play style like something like that would fit perfectly for the Knicks the Knicks are in dire need of shooting and defense and he pretty much hits the spot on both yeah and what I really liked about that Middleton comparison is in that UVA game I watched he ran immediately to the corner for a driving kick if possible but he didn't just stop like usually like with guys like Knox they'll go to one area and they'll just meander he would go run to the corner. Sometimes he would get kicked out. They closed out. He would go and easily go for a pull-up. So I'm really intrigued with that. And if you can't add like a high-level decision-maker, I feel like adding a competent wing who can score is a bonus. Yeah, yeah I, I think – sorry. Go, go. Like adding in some a guy who can, you know, fit into really any scheme. Like so many of their players right now are so fit-dependent, you know, from – from Frank to RJ to even to Mitch, like all these guys that they kind of ostensibly want to build around are kind of tricky people to build around. And so to have someone like Vassell who you can just put him on any team and there's an immediate role for him. And I think that that's important, especially as we're moving forward. And because I think that we're not quite like, I don't know, personally, I'm like, I was thinking about this in terms of Vassell or Okoro of, how strongly do we factor in what we need around RJ in terms of this pick? Cause you know, we always talk about whether you draft best player available or whether you draft for fit and RJ being so fit dependent does sort of make you have to think about it. But like, are we sure that he is good enough to be basing our top 10 decisions around like the Knicks have gotten in trouble? You know, that's sort of why they didn't look at Shea Gildas Alexander was cause they already had a six, six, lanky point guard on the roster right regardless of whether he was the best player there um so i do i i it's a question i have but i think that having someone like Vassell who just fits in and who can kind of give you like balance out the roster without necessarily affecting you know you could still tank in 2021 if that's what you want to do with Vassell on the roster it's not like he's going to raise you that much or you could try to get competitive if you get like Van Vliet and Bertans, like they're being linked to. Um, like, I really think that he can just sort of help you, whatever you're trying to do. He can just like come in, play a role and help balance out a very kind of tilted offensive roster. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, one of the reasons I really like Vassell is I, I do feel like he could fit in anywhere. Um, you know, it, it, I just, I don't, I'm, I'm also on the train where I'm not, I'm not a fan of hugely basing my decisions off of fit around RJ. Like to some point, yes, because that would make sense. But because the Knicks have been screwed in that way in terms of decision-making in the past, I'm not a huge fan of it, especially because we don't know what RJ is going to turn into. I mean, we're hopeful, but we don't know for sure. Um, and then just some other things about Vassell that I really liked when I was going through his profile. Um, he doesn't get to, he doesn't get to the rim a ton, which I know is a concern, but he finished his finishing at the rim was 70.1%, which is great. Um, and then another thing that he probably needs to improve on is just a lot of times in college, he was just shooting over guys and, you know, not really creating off the dribble. Um, but once, you know, once you get into the NBA, you can't rely on length as much. So, you know, theoretically, hopefully the dribble moves and handle improves, but I don't, I don't, that's not too much of a concern at all for me. Like out of, I, and I've told this to so many people out of all the guys in the draft, like I'm so confident that Vassell is going to turn into a good player at pretty much wherever he lands. So. Yeah. It seems like sort of like him and Okongwu just have that baseline of just like, they will be solid no matter what. And it's just a question of how high that ceiling goes. Like, you know, for your Middleton comparison, like obviously the thing that makes Middleton what he is now versus, you know, what I guess people thought he might be when he came into the league is his ability to hit shots off the dribble, right? The fact that he was like a nearly, like a almost just like, what well, he just missed, right? The 50, 40, 90 club while being a high volume kind of isolation shooting off the dribble guy, which I don't know. It seemed like there's definitely, I saw some flashes of off the dribble stuff from Vassell. It's definitely not a strength for him, but you know, that's, that's why you invest a lot of your money into a development team to try to, you know, work on the handle and he's got that high release. So it seems like the, the avenues for him to become at least a decent, you know, couple dribbles into a pull-up guy are there, which is pretty awesome. Um, And that, you know, that just, that can take him from being, just a strict three and D to like, you know, a three and D plus. And I think that, you know, three and D is almost a little bit of a deceptive term at this point. Cause we've sort of seen that it can't just be, you can play on like on ball defense and hit three. Like you need to have a little bit more if you want to be really successful. Right. And I think that having a little bit of like a pump fake, take two dribbles and hit a shot that kind of separates like the real three and D value from sort of like the, Oh, I don't want to say fake three and D, but you know, the, the one where it's like more reputation than like actually putting fear into the opposing team. And so I think Vessel Vassell can actually get to that point probably better than anyone, except for maybe like, like him and Desmond Bain probably right. Are the two guys in this draft that seem like they have the most potential to be at that level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what they need. And I think that's what every team needs. And it'd be nice for the Knicks to actually have, that because i don't know when was the last time we had a real starting level three and d wing yeah i mean another guy another guy in terms of comparisons that i've seen and i i agree with is robert covington you look at so many of these teams like the rockets that are invested so much i mean they made that tremendous switch mid-season where they went from trading capella in order to get a guy like covington and they gave up a first round pick in order to do that so you know, these, these three and D wings are so, so valuable in today's NBA. So that's another reason why I, um, I love the cell. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty settled on if it's Okoro versus Vassell, I'm Vassell all the way, just for all the reasons you guys highlighted and not particularly with the RJ fit. Like I wouldn't really worry about fitting with RJ as much like Dylan said, but 
you still have Knox, Nikhil, Frank. You got to develop those guys first before you can take on Okura, who is going to be a development on the offensive side. They just, I feel like they have a decent enough core where they can be solid defensively if used properly. And obviously Thibodeau helps. They really need somebody that can score. I think at least Vassell, I think he can at least get double digits his rookie year. Dylan, is that too optimistic or like 10 to 12? I think that on a team like the Knicks where he'll get opportunities, I think that's completely realistic. And, you know, it may, it may start out slow. I don't know how many minutes he's actually going to get to start, but uh, I, I think he'll be a guy that at, least, at minimum comes on strong at the end of the year, end of his rookie year. See, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying, Mike, and I probably lean Vassell just again from what we talked about, about how, you know, easy his game is to put on any team and how desperately needed it is on the Knicks. But I'm not quite as like cut and dry on the Vassell Okoro thing as you seem to be. Cause I don't know. I like, if you buy Okoro's jump shot, eventually getting to just like a decent to average level, I think that he's probably a better player than Vassell or at least, you know, kind of the things he, like, so again, like it comes down to the RJ thing, but it's funny to me. Cause like what RJ comes in as is, an inefficient scorer who's a pretty good passer and a decent defender and just like really strong, just gets to the rim. Right. But what Okoro is coming in as is a really, like a very good passer and beast at the rim. He's much better than RJ at the rim. He's a much better defender and an inefficient scorer, right? So it's like, I'm not even convinced and I'm not saying because, you know, RJ can definitely take leaps. And I'm not out on him by any means. But I also don't think it's a given that he's even better than Okoro. I think there's a pretty real chance for Okoro to be a better player. And that's like really? not, that's not even to mention, like, the knocks, the Franks. Of it. Like, he's clearly, to me, better than those guys. Yeah. Um, so Just athletically, too. Yeah, he's a monster athletically. And, like, I do think that, like, the passing and the finishing and the cutting – Makes it so, like, I, I was talking to, you know, usual TKW host Kyle Maggio on Twitter uh, maybe like a week or two ago. Um, and I think it is important to sort of separate, like, I don't think his offense is necessarily a long-term, it's a project, but I think it's more the jump shot. Like, I think he can be an offensive contributor right away. I just think it's the jump shot that's going to take a while. And obviously for the Knicks, who just need shooting desperately, that might be a deal breaker. But I think that he's going to be a productive offensive player pretty early on. And I just think that, like, he's got a very high ceiling. Like, I, I see a lot of, like, Jalen Brown potential in him if he can, like, iron out the shot. And, like, Jalen Brown came in with a lot of questions about the jump shot, too. But just, like, someone who lived at the rim. And I think that Okoro is probably a better passer. I don't think he's necessarily going to be, like, the Celtics are just wizards and they're turning Jalen Brown into the best possible version of himself. But... You know, I just think, like, if Okoro is there, it might be hard to pass that up at eight. Like, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting if those two guys are still on the board. Uh, But the whole – my point just being, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry, especially if we don't think about the fit of the team and we're just sort of taking it as best player available. Yeah, I agree with you in a vacuum. I think Okoro gets the edge, but it's more of just I know the Knicks are not going to – apart from RJ, unless it's for, like, a blockbuster deal, which I don't think is happening. So I just don't want that much of a traffic jam in the half court again. I just – I feel like Vassell at least opens up the lanes a little bit more. 
But I agree with you. I mean, if you flip RJ for like a point guard that can shoot or anyone that can shoot, <laughs> yeah, I'm open to a curl for sure. But I just don't think they're going to separate from him or even Frank at this point. I think we're pretty locked into the core for right now. And I think none of those guys can shoot and they need to address that. Yeah, I mean, in, sure. in, in, in terms of Okoro, uh, I, I'd like to watch him more because from what I've seen so far, it's he's like a tough player to evaluate, like you said. Like, he's, he's really athletic, great defender. You know, jump shot isn't there, which makes me a little bit hesitant. But I think that Tibbs is going to love him coming out of Auburn. And if, if he's there at eight, don't be surprised if the Knicks take him. Um, I'm not saying that I, – I, right now I, I would probably go Vassello over him, but I understand – Eli, what you're saying about ceiling and stuff, and I don't think that there's a doubt that I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I think that Okora probably has a higher ceiling if he could get his jump shot right. But just in terms of for the Knicks, I don't know if I love taking a guy that you know is going to take maybe a few years to develop. I'm not sure how sold I am on that, but I, I think Tibbs is going to love Okoro, and I, I could definitely see it happening. I ultimately, I ultimately think that one of one of Chicago or Atlanta, I think, is going to end up taking him, but we'll we'll see what happens. But I, I don't think he's going to fall. But if he does, I wouldn't be surprised if we take him. Well, I heard Cleveland. I think pretty sure Cleveland was the team that actually came out and said they believe that they can work with his shot. And if that's the case, if he's dropping out of five, now you have Denny free falling. I want Obi to go to the Hawks personally. So now you have Denny possibly falling to eight. That would be a dream scenario too. Yeah, I I don't. I don't see the Hawks taking Obi just because I feel like they've got John Collins, who's just like and Obi, though. Come the on. exact same player. But, uh, just, but I do I do think that there's a chance for Denny to fall. And, I, yeah, I think that any of those, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Hawks, and the Pistons all make a lot of sense for Obi. I mean, even I don't, I don't, if Charlotte wanted to, like, trade down a couple spots, I think he would make a lot of sense for them, too. I have no idea uh, what Charlotte's doing, by the way. That's probably the only team I can't peg. I'm pretty sure the Warriors – are going to trade that pick. I really don't know what the Hornets are planning. Yeah, it's interesting also, like, going back to – this is going way back, but when, uh, Dylan, you were talking about Obi, and I – the one thing is, like, I do think that there's a chance that he could fall just because, like, if you go through the people in front of the Knicks or the teams, like, he's definitely not going one. He makes sense in Golden State, but he's not going to go two. And then, like, the, the Hornets have P.J. Washington, so they don't need him. The Bulls, it's yeah. They have Lowry and Wendell. I don't really think they need him. So you could get him on the Cavs, which got like the Sexton, Garland, Toppin, Drummond. That's a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah. and then again, like like we said, we do, he doesn't really make sense on the Hawks because they've got John Collins and Capella, and like they want DeAndre Hunter as their power forward. So then it's like, do the Pistons, who have nobody and except for like what Luke Kennard and Sekou Domboya like Blake, yeah. I don't think they're gonna pick him so and Blake right exactly if he's ever healthy so I think that like I think that there's a pretty good chance that he actually ends up on the board this is top end that he ends up on the board when the Knicks pick which I think is gonna make their decision a lot harder and probably for a lot of Knicks fans a lot scarier because he seems like going, I think he seems like a pretty classic like he's got a name he was right. a big player in college he's from New York his dad was like a New York streetball guy like he makes a lot of sense but there is sort of like a he feels very Nixy and that is <laughs> I don't mean that as a compliment I know you I know, know exactly like what you mean. choosing the, the flashy office. guy over yeah. the you know the Vassell or the Okoro who could actually like sort of impact winning 
like even in the playoffs if the Knicks should the Knicks ever get to that point um you know it Obi feels like more of classic Knicks which you know that should send shivers down fans spines I think yeah I'm kind of more embarrassed that I agree with that thinking though because I think I just want watchable basketball at this point because usually by January or February watching Knicks games like over the last two three years kind of felt like a chore for the most part sure there were like a couple games where RJ went off or Mitch had a great night but for the most part I felt like some of these games were just one-sided blowouts and just ugly games that they lost I feel like Obi at least gives you like oh okay I'll turn it on and see Obi do some cool dunks that's like I don't disagree with the front office but I completely hear you on him may not being the best option yeah Eli I think you made a good point actually I I hadn't actually thought about that um, in terms of OB falling just because of fit ahead of him. It's going to depend, obviously, on if these teams just go best player available or if they have just like a plan where they don't, based on fit on fit of their team, where they don't want to go OB. Um, so that's a good point. I think he could be there um, now that you say that. And in, in terms of just – I'm warming to him a little bit because I feel like with Tibbs as head coach, I think that you could work with him on defense a bit. You know, obviously, we all know Tibbs. Tibbs is very defensive-minded, and I expect him to get the most out of guys on defense. Um, and yeah, like you said, Mike, I watching Knicks games in from the February to April range the last few years is absolutely brutal. And I think Obi is going to have a lot of potential, and he'll probably show that in his rookie year. It's just going to, like, like we all said before, it's going to depend on those little things of how high his ceiling is. And even like, I mean, Tibbs was in those Bulls days, he was having Carlos Boozer as his power forward, right? So I think you can look at Obi and say, okay, so that let's just take Carlos Boozer, bring him into 2020 and give him a jump shot. And, you know, you got Obi, that's him plus some hops, right? So, I mean, it's and with a great defensive center. Now, obviously, Mitch isn't close to the passer that that Joe Kim Noah was, but, and cause we know that Tips likes to run a lot of offense through his bigs, but you could have OB sort of taking that role a little bit, operating out of the high post and like grabbing going. And I think that that sort of played into his skill set well, and it gets the Knicks out and running, which as Mike said, is probably one of the more important things for Tips' offense next year for them to get anything out of it. Yeah, I, I completely agree that that the Boozer comparison is is interesting, and I've, I've I believe I've actually seen that on Twitter before also. But in terms of just fit, in terms of the Tibbs 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 team with the Bulls and now with the Knicks, but yeah, going off that on Tibbs like teams, Kerry Lewis has been getting a lot of I guess fandom or just fans in general, and I've seen the argument made that Tibbs can have his. D Rose light kind of person where it's a speedy guard that gets downhill athletic force. How are you guys feeling on Kira? I, I still think he's a trade back candidate at best. I don't, I don't think I would go at eight, but I don't, I think I'm just sour on guards in general in this draft. I don't know why. Well, I feel worse about him when I hear D Rose light. Cause that's just like, nah, that's not it. But I mean, I, I like Kira a lot. He's definitely not that, you know, he's like, he, he will definitely break down defenses, but he's not going to be anything close to D-Rose. Um, he's not much of a vertical athlete. And I think he's I think he's got some good trickery in his bag, but he's not at all sort of like the contortionist around the rim that D-Rose was. But I do think that he's a really interesting 
lightning fast point guard who can shoot and the amount of players who are like that is very low like if you get Dennis Schroeder with like a little bit more of a commitment to defense like but Dennis Schroeder now who can actually shoot versus Dennis Schroeder in Atlanta who couldn't shoot and uh who is grumpy all the time like if we get like a sort of happy-go-lucky Dennis Schroeder that's sort of the question right like I I, th- I think that he could be better than that, but I think that that's sort of his most likely where he falls into is that kind of point guard. Like, I don't think he's going to be a high level set up your offense guy, but he can just break down defenses, hit jump shots. I think he does try on defense and, you know, there is some potential for him. He's just small. So it's going to be hard for him. He's not going to be like a switch defender, but I think that, you know, he's not going to be a liability in time. So I'm a big fan of Kira and I really don't, know if he'll be available if like I don't know how far you can wait like I think that you could see a team like I think you could see Washington the Suns the Pelicans the Celtics like all have some interest in him so it's going to be interesting to see like how evaluations of him are changing as workouts start as we get closer to like whatever it is October November December whenever the draft happens um he's going to be a really interesting candidate because he might rise up boards pretty quickly at that point. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Kira, I, I kind of feel I love, well, I, I usually love speedy guards. Um, I loved, um, I loved Fox coming out of college. I remember just cause like, like there's so many, there's so few guards that are just like, are just complete lightning when you watch them. And I feel like Kira from what I've seen is, is one of those guys. He's extremely quick. Um, and his shooting was, and I, I was surprised at this when I looked at the at the stats. His, his shooting was really good also. Um, shot 4.9 three-pointers a game. Shot it at 36.6%, which is pretty good. Um, I I think, you know, I mean, no no way I t- I'm taking him at eight, but I think he's probably going to go back into the lottery. I feel like um, a team may jump on him a little bit earlier than people think, for sure. Yeah, see, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, overvaluing it. I probably would take him at eight. Um, Just, like, I feel like in this draft where there's so much uncertainty, if he's the guy, then just go get him. Because I think every team is probably going to want to trade back in this. I like – because, like, we were talking about, like, the middle of this draft seems sort of like the sweet spot of, like, value players since you're not going to be, like, looking for – an all-star or superstar in the top 10, like you would maybe in next year's draft. I think that like most teams are probably going to want to be looking back or trading back. So I think it's sort of like, you know, the way that the Suns took Cam Johnson last year, right. And everyone sort of thought that that was a major reach. I think that this year you're going to get, like, if you have a guy, I think you should just take him. Mm-hmm. If it's not like, you know, it's not like we're taking, you know, um, I don't know, Trey Jones at eight. Right. This is the guy who I think I think Kira Lewis is a top 10 talent. He's top 10 on my board. So maybe I'm just like overly high on him. But I just think that like if he's the guy that the front office thinks is the the player for them, just do it. Just pull the trigger. Now, if you add him, do you think that's more of RJ becoming more of a facilitator or do you think Kira could actually handle that part of the offense? I mean, he's really young. So I think that it's I think right away just ha- you'd probably need a second guard. Like I think Fred Van Vliet could sit next to him as the, like the shooting guard. He's used to playing in two guard systems. Mm-hmm. I think you could have, you know, RJ try to take more playmaking. Um, 
I, I don't think either of them would be ready to be like a full-time point guard for a competent offense. But, you know, if you just make your whole offense sort of like running pick and roll with our, with uh, Mitch, like that's a tough pick and roll pairing to stop. Cause, cause Kira can just put the speed on basically from like a standstill and just get around anyone. So that like between Robinson's verticality and Kira's just like downhill speed, that's a pretty good basis for an offense. And Kira's not like a great passer, but I think he's, he's a solid passer. He's average. average. Yeah. What the highlight that always gets me with Kira and the reason I had him on the top of way back when, before the NBA even restarted, he was on the top of my board for 27th, which is definitely not happening now was he dropped a curl. And I was just, I was watching the highlight. I was, it was in highlight clip. I was like, wait a minute, was that fucking Isaiah, Isaac uh, Akuro that just got dropped? And lo and behold, I was like, damn, this kid, <laughs> that's impressive. Because I think Akuro's, what, at least the one or two top perimeter defender in the draft. For sure. So, well, And it seemed like he was sort of figuring things out more and more as the year went on. Um, like, it seemed like he was adding a little bit more. You know, I think the, the biggest thing for fast guards, and like, if you know, one of the things that Dennis Smith has had trouble with is like changing pace, like not always going at that top speed. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like Kira was sort of figuring that out as the year went along. Um, and so if he can really kind of get that, you know, go to like Euro steps, slow, hesitate, like slow down on his like fast breaks, uh, you know, that, that adds so much to his rim attack dimensions. Um, and I think like, like we said over and over again, just the ability to get out in transition, like he's probably going to be the best point guard in this eight range unless Killian's there at just like getting out in transition and wreaking havoc. So that like opens up things for RJ the trailer or for Mitch running to the, to the rim. If for some reason they can't like, hopefully they can get some shooters that, um, that he can probably like find on kickouts. But I think that he has a real potential to transform them into that up and down team that we want them to be. Yeah, and that's kind of why I soured on Tyrese Halliburton. I remember you were the first person that got me to second-guess it because on paper, I think someone like Tyrese fits exactly what you need for this team. He can He's better on catch and shoots. Doesn't need the ball to be effective, but when he does have the ball, he's the quarterback you want. He has that eagle-eye view. But I really think this team needs to be out in the open, and I don't think someone like Halliburton gets them there, and that's why I probably would trade back for – Lewis or Maxi? Max is another one I think can keep the flow up and down. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, it's funny with Halliburton. Like, I feel like I see a lot of times on Twitter and conversations, people talking about how he's like the, the perfect, like, well rounded point guard in this draft. But, like, to me, the perfect, well rounded point guard has got to be able to attack the rim and attack the defense and, you know, get into the teeth of the defense and make plays. And, I just don't see any world where Halliburton can do that. And that's like, especially on a team like the Knicks where he's going to get a big workload, like he's going to be basically asked to run the offense. And I just, I don't see any way he can break people down off the dribble. You know, like if even the ringer, you know, Kevin O'Connor's mock draft has like, he's got shades of Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I just, I don't see that Mm, at all. I see Livingston. I see Livingston. I see Livingston a little, but he's just like, well, I mean like, maybe like older Livingston, but he's just yeah. so stiff. And he, he, to me, he's sort of got that, like, you know how Lonzo Ball came into the league and his only move was a crossover? Like, mm-hmm. that's all he could do as a point guard. Like, that's really scary. And I think that there's a little bit of that with Halliburton where, like, 
he can't really break anyone down. He's not going to be getting to the rim. I think uh, he just, he, he sort of has to like hang out on the perimeter and wait for someone else to make stuff happen. And then he can sort of pick apart the defense after things have already gotten moving, but he's not going to be the one who makes that happen initially. And so that's why I think on the Knicks, especially who just need people who can kind of get things going and get the defenses shifting. Like that's just not him at all. Yeah. If RJ was a world beater, I think I would feel a little bit more open to Halliburton, but just based off what the roster is now, and we don't know what the free agent plans are because that's kind of a big factor here too, because they could clean house and we don't really know what's going to be around these young guys. Except for Mitch, RJ and Frank. Well, I I think, um, Eli, I think you brought up a good point about Halliburton. So I was right now, I'm still pretty high on Halliburton, but I think you made me pump the brakes a little bit in terms of his fit on the Knicks. Now, if I'm, if you're looking at my, my choices for the Knicks today, based on who I think is going to be available, I'm probably going number one, Vassell, and then like very, very close to that, if not one Killian. And then probably I, I had Halliburton written down as three, um, I don't think he, I think I actually, I have a gut feeling he's going to go to Detroit and I don't know why I think Detroit's going to draft a guard. And if they decide not to go Killian, then they're going to go him. But in terms of Halliburton, what I do like about him is I think that while his, you know, at the rim, he, he doesn't get to the rim. Like that's, that's just the truth. He, he only shot two free throws a game, which is pretty concerning for a guy that like is you know, like a, a, the offensive leader on that, on that Iowa state team, the fact that he only shot two free throws a game is concerning. But if you look at his jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year, like it was, it was significant. Like he took a made massive step, which makes you think that, you know, if he's coached up correctly, I think he could take another pretty big leap. Um, you look at his stats and, I, and again, I'm, I'm looking like firmly at production with the Knicks because I, you know, I'm kind of done with the project type guys. Um, Halliburton, he, you know, averaged 15 a game, six and a half assists, uh, shot 41% from three on 5.6 attempts per game, which is great. Um, like you said, ideally, you know, he could get to the rim more. Ideally, he could shoot off the dribble more. Um, so I, I do see that is making me pump the brakes a little bit on Halliburton, but I do think that in the right situation, he is going to be a really productive player in the NBA. Um, and, you know, when he did get to the rim, I know he doesn't get to the rim a lot, but he did. He, you know, again, he got to the, he only had 28 shots at the rim, which is so low, but he did make 18 of them. So I'm hoping that if a coach could, you know, make him a little bit more aggressive, then, you know, he could take that next step. But I do get what you mean in terms of pumping the brakes on him. Well, I do agree with you um, that like, I think that he's sort of, to me, kind of like emblematic of the whole draft where I think if he goes to a team, like let's, let's say he went to the Suns and is next to Booker, I think he'll be amazing. I think he'll, like, I think in the right situations, he'll be, you know, a, probably like the best sort of starting role player type option in this draft. Like, yeah, I think there's a really good chance for that uh, just because of his IQ. And like, we know he has NBA range because, you know, his weird shot has like made him shoot from way back. So we know he can shoot from NBA range and he's just an incredible passer. Like he just thinks the game at a really high level and that goes to his like team defense too. Um, but I think that, you know, if he's in a place where he's like, you know, the number one point guard and like really the only like playmaking option, that's, that's the concern. And it's not even so like, yes, I am concerned about his shot off the dribble and his attacking the basket, 
in a huge way, but like even more so, I'm just concerned about like his ability to put the ball on the floor and just get get below the three point line and just do anything. Like whether it's a shot, whether it's a floater, whether it's passing to his teammates, I just don't really. I think there are very few guards that he could break, take off the dribble and like break down and then like make something happen, like make you know utilize his incredibly high level playmaking. And so that's the thing that scares me because I don't really think that the Knicks have like any quick other than Dennis Smith and like Mitchell Robinson, but like in the guards, other than Dennis Smith, they don't really have anyone who's like a quick athlete. Everyone's sort of slow footed and, you know, relies on strength and hopefully someday some kind of like craft and touch around the rim. And so Halliburton to me is sort of just another one of those kind of guys. And if you just have an entire backcourt and wing system based on guys like that, I just think it's really hard to make anything happen below the three point line. Yeah, I, I see that. And another thing that you mentioned the, uh, the Kevin O'Connor, uh, Shea Gildas Alexander comparison. And I, I kind of like see where he's coming from. Not, but when, when I looked into it more, I, I think it's, it's not, it's not legit, but the reason that he definitely threw that in there is just because Halliburton has such a quirky, quirky kind of play style. And like when I first watched Halliburton, that was like my first instinct. I was like, like, this is like, he, he plays like very weird, like kind of like, like Shay, like there's not many guys like him. And I think that that's probably the reason why he leaned that way. Um, but you know, when you look really into it in terms of the, you know, getting to the rim shot off the dribble, like, yeah, you see, it's not completely there, but I think that that's where he's coming from in terms of that. Cause it is, if you were to watch Halburn play, I mean, between his weird jump shot and just like his whole play style is, is a little bit out there. And I think that could, shit, that, that may shy some NBA teams away from him, but I think that in the right situation, he could get the job done. Yeah. And right before we get out of here, I wanted talk to you guys about another guard that some people question his fit with the current Knicks roster my top player in the draft personally Killian Hayes how do you guys like his fit in New York if he falls I personally think he's going to Detroit so I think this is a non-conversation in the end but just wanted to get your take on do you think Killian fits in New York and what would they need to put around him if you don't think he fits uh, I would I'm, love him. Oh, go ahead, Dylan. Okay. I yeah, I, I was gonna say I'm I'm a fan right now. Um I think that play that if you're looking at a general Knicks fan, if they see the Knicks were to take a point guard from France again, they'll probably get really, really scared, honestly. But if you look at the difference between him and other European players, I think that something that's so important when you take a European player is not just like like a lot a lot of fans they shy away from the European players because you have your huge busts in the past. But usually the guys who could produce in pro leagues before they come into the draft are guys who have extremely high floors once they once they're in the NBA. And, you know, you look at a guy like Doncic, who was he was the MVP of um, whatever year, I believe it was the something in the Euro League um, before he you know was drafted. You look at a guy and then you look at a guy like Frank Nilakina, he was averaging like five points and one assist in limited minutes at the time that the Knicks drafted him. You look at Killian Hayes, he was averaging big minutes um, and he was averaging 12.8 points a game, 6.2 assists per game, and he was shooting 39% from three on 4.1 attempts per game. When I watch him, it, he kind of reminded me a lot of Goran Dragic, and I think a reason for that is just his whole play style between just him being so lefty dominant and I just, he, like, he shoots well, he passes well. I'm a fan of him. I think that 
him falling to the Knicks would be among the best cases case scenarios in the draft. So, yeah, and I understand the speed question with him or lefty dominant. He's very similar to RJ in the respect that he may not be fast, but he does have gears to him where he knows where to shift. Like if you see him coming off a pick, he'll slow up, slow up, and he'll speed right around the corner. And I feel like he gives you everything that you wanted in LaMelo Ball, which is playmaking and the ability to shoot. I'm just so pissed off that his season was cut short because any stats I gave out for his German team, Ulm, they would say, oh, yeah, it's only 10 games. But I really I really do think everything is there for him to be good. And even if they don't add a ton of shooting, I think he can grow into the point guard that they always needed. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. And I would – I would consider trying to trade up to six, trying to trade with Atlanta to see if you could leapfrog Detroit uh, for the exact reason you mentioned. I think he's pretty likely to be their pick if he's still on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like so the left-hand dominance is definitely a concern with RJ, um, but I do like his shot off the dribble. Like he's, he's already got a pretty advanced step back, which is a huge weapon for a guard. And I think that a lot of his like, he had some really weird shooting splits where like he shot very well off the dribble, but terribly off the catch. And he shot very well for his, I believe for his, like for a Euro league team, but worse for the first half of the season. Um, but I think that like shooting off the catch, if you're that good of a shot shooter off the dribble, I think shooting off the catch should be able to be something like there's something is clearly going wrong with his setup and a good coach should be able to fix that. I, I don't know if the Knicks have a good coach. They haven't been able to fix many shooting problems in the past, but you know, if we're, if we're approaching this as like sort of a blank slate season, you know, new with the new development guys, the new coach, the new head office, I think that we can, you know, kind of look at it as a bit of a bank blank slate and say that like his, his passing is really good. I want to see the ball handling. He's a, he can be a little bit, deliberate with his ball handling um so i'd like to see that get a little tighter and then obviously it's not even just like the the ability to to pass off the on the right side but even his dribbling just gets way more rudimentary when he's going with his right hand so he's gonna have to clean that up but like he's a great defender he i think he's gonna be a really good like in between guy he's got a pretty good floater game um he's to me, he's by far the number one option at eight if he's there. And like I said, I would even, you know, see at least what Atlanta would want to move up to six. Yeah, that's a great idea. I didn't even consider that. But I was, I've been looking at the Cavs because I just feel like Brock Ollie's connection there and just the Cavs being the Cavs, I feel like that's the most – that was the best trade partner. But I really think the Hawks could – like what are the Hawks really missing out on by swapping down to eight? unless they really love a Kuro or Denny. I don't know. I, I like that. Yeah, I think a Kuro would be, like, the guy that would maybe keep them from doing that. But it's interesting, you know, because they're so they, – they've got, like – they've got Herder, they've got Cam, they've got Hunter. And so it's sort of, like, they they don't really, like, need anything right now. It's just sort of where are they trying to improve. They've basically got, like – you know, with Collins, if they believe in Capella or like if they want to go for uh, an Okongwu or Wiseman or something like that. But it does sort of open up the floor. Like one of those guys should be there, like Vassell, Okoro, Hayes. It seems like, or not Hayes, uh, Denny. It seems like one of those three should probably be there at eight. Um, so I don't know. It could be like, but it really depends on like, do the Knicks have anything? Like would they trade that and 
27 or 33 or try to do a future pick or would they for some reason want like Kevin Knox or something like that? I, I'm not sure what the Knicks would be able to do to kind of entice them. But I, it, I would be surprised if the Knicks get out of this draft without trading up, whether it's their lottery pick or their 27th pick. I feel like a trade up is coming. I don't know. That's just sort of a gut feeling I have. Well, something that I saw a ton of, and I'm sure you guys saw the same thing, but as like the day, the morning after the lottery, even like right after it, everyone was like, Oh, like, the Knicks uh, could trade up to number two to get Lamelo. Like, what what are your thoughts on the Knicks possibly even trading up that high? I don't think, and I, I actually I tweeted this out from the Knicks Wall Twitter account. Like, what what would you guys be willing to give up to trade up to either number one or number two in this draft? I I don't think that the draft is like that good where you give up a significant amount of assets for that. Like, that's just. I don't think there's like a major, major gap between let's say LaMelo ball and somebody that we're going to get at eight. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been consistent with, if I'm going all in, I'm going all in next year with Kate or Jalen green or even Kaminga. Like those are guys I would trade up for Or BJ Boston or BJ Boston. Like those, like those are the guys I'm trading up for. Like you just said, you can get similar value even all the way down to 18, depending on where Kira goes or maxi. Lamelo's great. I love Lamelo. He's fun. He put asses in the seats. But a, I don't think the Knicks have anything to even entice the Warriors, other than taking on Andrew Wiggins' contract and giving them Mitch and pretty much the future dra- of our draft. So I don't. I, I'm. I just don't think they have that. And then, like you said, there's just relative talent without having to pay that cost. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. Exactly. I, it's just, it's tough for me to see the Knicks having anyone that the Warriors would want um, just because, you know, the the veterans that they have aren't going to move the needle for them at all. I really don't see them wanting Julius Randle, who they could absorb into that Andre Gudala trade exception. I doesn't strike me as a Warriors type, type of player. Um, I've been wrong before, but that one I feel pretty confident about. Um, so then the question is like, is eight and you know, one of the Mavs picks enough to move up to two. And yeah, like Mike, I, I'm, I'm trying to save my assets for that draft. Like if, even if they don't get Cade, like I, like, like Mike said, there's a bunch of different options there. Like I would, I think anywhere in the top five that you can trade into in next year's draft is going to give you a chance for a real franchise shaper. And LaMelo is like, he could be a franchise shaper, but I think he's probably not on the same tier as some of those guys next year. Um, and again, I just don't, I don't really see what the Knicks could have to entice them. Yeah. It would have to be, it would have to be like you would, I don't think RJ has the trade potential for, or trade appeal for the Warriors just because he can't really shoot. And if they are going to do that, go for a player like RJ's type. I would rather just talk to Philly about Ben Simmons, if that's the case. (laughs) So, and if you're trading up for LaMelo, you want to pair him with Mitch and Mitch almost certainly has to be included in any deal. So that's that's another thing that people should Maybe do. they really want Frank to play defense. For I think Steph. they would want Frank as like a throw-in. I believe mm-hmm. – didn't they have some interest in him, or am I bugging out? I think they did, like, when the Knicks inquired about Russell briefly, but I don't think it took any traction. I think it was just like, yeah, we think he's cool, but that's about it. Yeah, I'm, there's no way I'm parting with Mitch to move up six spots in the draft. Like, not a chance. So, no, I'm, measured shots are better. I think. I think what Eli mentioned, the Hawks, Cavs, even the Hornets. Depend. I still, like I said, I don't know 
what their plan is. They should get a guard, but who knows? Because they are still paying Rozier. I don't know what their plan is at all. I mean, maybe they want maybe they want Frank to pair with uh, Devonte Graham. I like. I think the Hornets would be an interesting one just because they're in such a weird spot. Like, what's their core is basically Graham and PJ Washington and Miles Bridges, depending on how you feel about him. So it's like hard to see exactly where they're at. But like, if you could give them, you know, their own second round pick from this year and who knows what else, but like, cause there's a chance that LaMelo is still there at three. And I feel like they're Definitely. a more likely trade partner than the Warriors are. And also I'm more comfortable trading with Jordan than I am with the Warriors head office. <laughs> I feel like yeah. Jordan, you have a little bit more chance of getting a good deal out of. Yeah. That's what me and Kyle mentioned at last episode. If we're going to make a deal, we want to at least deal with fellow idiots. We don't want to deal with <laughs> the Warriors. Like you don't want to get in, because you're just going to get finessed. Yeah, I mean, if you, it's like that thing of if you're at the poker table and you're wondering who's the mark, you're the mark. Yeah, you're the fish. Exactly. The Knicks are almost always the mark, so it'd be nice to find someone else to be the mark for once. Exactly. If, if LaMelo is still there at three, then I'm strongly looking into trading up. If you could, obviously, granted that you could hold on to your best assets, meaning like Mitch and RJ, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, that's that's probably the only way I'm looking at a major trade up here, unless it's something very minor to move up, let's say two spots to get your guy. So right. here's a question: if if it is Lamelo, if he's still there, RJ's off the table for you? No, he is. He's on the table. I think Mitch comes off the table before RJ, just because if I want to pair Lamelo with somebody, it's Mitch more than RJ for sure. Agreed. Agreed. No, I don't. I Mitch. Mitch is definitely the number one number one priority in my opinion, but. I, I mean, again, I can't really see the Knicks parting ways with RJ to move up five picks, even if it's LaMelo, because in the end of the day, you're just moving up five spots in the draft, and you just took this guy at number three last year. So, All right. I think they're high on RJ overall, and they have every right to be. He does everything you want in a high draft pick. So I think they're going to at least give RJ one or two years before they get antsy with him. Yeah, and I mean, just again, to ask another like reverse question to that, let's just say that they were to stay put and no trades – really materialized the let's say the day of the draft or right before mm-hmm. who are some players that you guys are looking at at 27 and 38 that you guys could think could be nice role players desmond bain uh, for sure desmond bain for sure tyler bay yep. is another one second round i've kind of fallen in love with killian tilly just because more shooting uh jada mcdaniels i don't know how far he's gonna fall if he goes all the way down to 38 I'm really considering taking him just because he is a project pick, but if he pans out to anything, I think he's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. I think you have to take him at 38. That would be a great value. Yeah. So I, I made a lit. I actually, I wrote an article and I was saying, I was saying that if that at 27 and 38, you got to draft. And this is going to sound weird because Mitch was nothing like this, but I think you got to draft guys that, are like proven proven talents guys who have maybe played two or three years maybe even four years in college and have proven that they could come in and produce because i mean i feel like it, at, at a pick at a pick like 27 um or 38 if you're the knicks like i'm just looking to add guys who could contribute um i'm not necessarily looking for like a like a home run like i i, I want like a guy who could you know come and pl- give you good minutes off the bench um i definitely think De- desmond bain is hundred percent a thousand percent the number one option i don't even know if he'll be there at 27 based on how many people seem to be high on him um but other guys that i think uh, the knicks should consider 
at 27 or 38. So Devon Dotson, shooting guard, Kansas, well, combo guard, I should say, Kansas. Um, you know, that's the guy who produced a lot in college. And then other guys, Grant Riller from Charleston, Xavier Tillman, Michigan State, Trey Jones, I think could be a decent option as well. And then I also think two um, lower end options who one of them fits the bill of what I just said, the other doesn't. Maybe at 38, you even look at a guy like Cassius Winston, a guy who, I mean, he was he was extremely good in college. And I feel pretty confident that he'll find a role somewhere in the NBA at some point. Um, and then if you were to not follow what I just said and take a guy who's only been in college for one year, but maybe has some upside, I'd probably go with Cassius Stanley at Duke. I love the athleticism there. And if he could develop a really, really good, you know, even a decent three-point shot, I think that that could be some value there. Yeah, Stanley's been my consistent 38th pick in the uh, TKW offseason simulator just because I always end up taking Vassell and then I take a guard. I think it's usually Tyrell Terry at 27, and then I go with Cassius. I was just like, oh. Yeah, I'm not personally a a huge fan of Cassius, but uh, I think definitely like the people we talked about, Terry and Bain – are really high for me. Like, I think either of those guys at 27 would be a steal. Um, I think if you get, like, Bain at 27 and Riller at 38, I would be so happy. Like, two guys, like you were saying, Dylan, who, you know, have experience and they're they're going to be need a little bit less time to just come in and acclimate. They can both shoot. They, you know, Bain can play defense. Uh, they can both pass, like, a little bit. Um other guys that I think I would be interested in, uh, Malachi Flynn, I think would be interesting at 38. Um, yeah, I saw his name bubbling recently. Yeah, he's he's like, I mean, he's small, but he's a really good pick and roll point guard. He'd make a really co- good combination with Mitch. And then just the other guy uh, who I think would be an interesting option, just in terms of spacing the floor, would be Isaiah Joe. I think that like he's so he's a sophomore uh, shooting from guy, Arkansas like five from Arkansas. Okay. And that dude can just well. he can play such he can just like rain down threes. He's a pretty decent defender. Um, I would have him over a guy like like personally like both Tyler Bay and Cassius Stanley. I'm a little bit I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of them. They seem more like theoretical than actual talents to me. Um, mm. But yeah, like someone like 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 Isaiah Joe, who you just know is going to come in and score from every level. Um, I think he'd be really interesting. And then I, the guy who I like, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about him because he's the one I have probably the most trouble with my evaluation is Jamias Ramsey. Like, what what are your guys' thoughts on him? Because like he can shoot and he can create his own shot, and theoretically he seems like he should be able to play like a decent amount of defense. He's like a combo guard, but I I don't know. I just I really, I, I can't, I go back and forth on him. I, sometimes I'm really, I like really buy into it. And then other times I get kind of like cold feet. I haven't seen enough of him to be honest. So I can't, I don't want to speak on it just because whatever I say just can be half-assed, but I've seen him float from like the mid teens to, and right now he's projected end of the first round. So what, what was his appeal to his three point shooting? Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's a pretty good shooter and he can, he can take he, he's like a tough shot maker it seems like and like I don't know if that is just because it takes it's like hard for him to get his shot off or if it's just that you know if it's shot selection but like he can take and make some tough shots and he can definitely space the floor and others like he's got a little combo guard he's like he's not a point guard but he can make some plays and 
you know, he probably has like some good value just as a big, strong, he like, he's built. So like a big, strong body to play like point of attack defense. I'm not sure. Like he, he seems like he's kind of like hit or miss on defense. He can kind of float from time to time. Uh, but again, I can't tell if he's like, if he's like more just like the parts do not equal the sum, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or if he could actually put it together and just be like a really interesting combo guard sort of that they pick up late. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched enough yet to form a real opinion, but I mean, definitely the appeal with the three point shooting uh, shot 5.2 attempts per game from beyond the arc, uh, 42 percent. 42.6 percent um plus it he he's he was only a freshman he's been in college for one year and he was doing that 15 points a game as well so i mean for him to have that kind of production right away is is definitely encouraging yeah well that's one of the prospects we can look forward to because it looks like we're gonna have at least a month two what two three months now until the draft down they talk about moving to december nobody knows what's going on Nobody but we're gonna have, <laughs> we should have enough time to get through just about every possible prospect. So I feel like there's one guy we gotta talk about still at eight, just to go back. And I don't know how likely it is. Maybe it's not likely at all. Maybe it's impossible, but it might be in play. Is Poku? We haven't mentioned him, and like there's yeah. a chance that he could be in the running for that spot. He's like, you know, in a draft where there is not a lot of super high end talent it's hard not to think that he's probably the biggest upside play outside of LaMelo, right? I agree, but it's the same argument that I use for Okoro, where I'm not interested to seeing if the boomer bust prospect right now. And I don't think bust in the literal sense. I mean, bust for New York. And I just, I already know the fans are going to be iffy about it to begin with. And See, my thing is like, if you ha- if you get him, then you're basically you're you're playing for 21, right? And so he's he's gonna it's like I actually saw a tweet the other day that I thought kind of summed it up perfectly. Is you basically you're getting a 2021 like Stereo. a 2021 like an extra lottery pick in that draft, basically. Right. Now, do you don't and, think you could get get him further back, or do you think you have to take him at eight? That's the thing. I don't know. He seems like he's all over the board, but like. You know, again, he seems like a guy who could really make a climb, both because of his skill set and because of the sort of like mystery box appeal to him. And I feel like those guys tend to get, they either drop really far or they get picked really high just because they're such a home run swing. Mm-hmm. And like there are, it does seem like there are questions about his mentality, but like a guy who can shoot and pass at a really high level and like has some like flashes of sort of like help side defense and he, like the way he moves is he's really interesting. Like he could be the biggest play of the draft. And like, like I said, like the Knicks aren't competing next year. And so they're, he, they could either sign, they could keep Julius Randle. They could sign a Davis Bertans, or they could just sort of, you know, throw him into the fire. But I would imagine that he just sort of comes along slowly, gets like G league minutes and you sort of try to like invest a lot of time into turning him into that sort of 2021 lottery pick where you get him, and your other two picks in that draft, and then all of a sudden your team has like a very fundamentally different look. Yeah, and then Kenny Payne is supposed to be an expert at working with big men, so that's another plus to look at. But I don't know, Dylan, what are your thoughts on Poku? Poku is a guy that I honestly did not know pretty much anything about until recently where I've been seeing his name pop up a ton. Like People are starting to like watch his tape, catch on to it, and be like, this is a guy that could be a major steal in the draft. 
Um, I mean, he's, he's only 18. He's only going to be 18 years old at the time of the draft. Um, he has a late, very late 2001 birthday, which is yeah, he's crazy. younger than a lot of 21 guys. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy. And again, like you said, it is, it is almost like getting a 2021 lottery pick. I don't think there's any way the Knicks would do this just because of, I, I don't, I think the fan reaction would be ridiculous and I don't think he's going to go as high as eight. But like you said, in a draft where there's so many unknowns, like if he does sneak into the back end of the lottery, would that really be surprising at all? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, he seems like, you know, the, the modern day big with a ton of upside could shoot a seven footer. Um, so I, I, I definitely need to dig into more of his, you know, his tape and stuff, but I, I think he maybe ends up being a steal for whatever team gets him. Yeah, and obviously yeah. people are going to see, like, the – they're going to see him and they're going to think KP right away. But, like <laughs> – Exactly. I feel like it's important to, like, he he is – he's pretty different. Like, he moves – like, the way he moves is much more fluid. Like, KP has always been sort of a stiff. Um, even, like, when he's doing athletic things, he's doing it in a stiff way. And Poku is, like, a lot more, like, sort of, like, lithe and, like, just fluid in his movements. And it's also, he's like a much better passer. Like that was one of the things that we always killed KP for was just being a bit of a black hole. Like, and even like, like Poku seems like he does some stuff. Sometimes he like gets a little bit, like a little out of control and tries, you know, like the sort of like the Steph Curry behind the back in the finals, like mm-hmm. sort of throws the ball away. But, you know, it's, I, I think you, you kind of want that right now for where he's at to, sh- that he's showing at least like the ability to make like, advanced and creative passes on the move just like he seems like he sees the game in a very interesting way um i agree for the the record that it doesn't seem like it's a likely pick for a new front office because it's such a risk but i do think that there's something to be said for like he's really the only person in that range who seems like he could have like best player of the draft potential unless you know unless i mean him and killian probably like 1a and 1b there and i i don't know he's like he would be a great fit for what they need. I think he's a good transition player and he spaces the floor for their main guys. So I, I think it would be really interesting. I don't know if it'd be the right move, but I think it'd be a really interesting move. I don't think it'd be the wrong move. I just think it's not a Knicks move, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. Now, if they do, like, let's say they get really lucky at eight and I don't know, let's just for argument's sake, let's say Demi falls. So you already have like a prospect that you can trot out next year. And then you package those two late picks to move up. Yeah, I'd do it in a heartbeat because there's the parallels to this draft and the 2013 class are pretty funny. And I could definitely see Poku being that guy that's just sitting, the diamond in the rough, sitting right in the middle of the first round. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, the dream would be to get Killian at eight or, oh. and then to do that same trade up and get Poku in the mid teens. Like that. And, and like you'd have such a good defensive backbone if you did that. Like, cause, cause I really do that. Like Poku. It's going to be a long time before he's like, a, he's going to get targeted a lot, I think, by big men. But he's like, he can do weak side rim defense for sure. And if you have him and Mitch at the rim and Killian and Frank and RJ defending the perimeter, that's a lot of, that's like a really good defense for Tibbs to be able to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's, he's definitely the lottery. I think he's going to be, pick up a lot more steam. It's already picking up as we speak and we're not even close to the draft. So poker. Right, like the question of like, could he have a, could he have a workout with them? That's sort of like, you know, the famous Donovan Mitchell where the jazz said that anyone who leaks how good he was will be fired on the spot, you know, kind of <laughs> exactly. that situation. Yeah. Like he seemed like he could maybe have a workout like that. 
no, I think there's a path, and like I really think Kenny Payne's gonna have a voice too. So that's another thing to keep in mind. And if he can really work with Biggs, I mean that's that's the pick to test it on, is it not? I mean that's mm-hmm. a big project. <laughs> so that's a name to be interested in. But uh, before we get out of here, uh, Dylan, do you have uh, anything coming up? Any pieces coming up? Uh, I believe so. This this Friday, I am going to be talking about how I think, and we, we spoke about this a ton on the podcast, but I think that um, pick like just given the fact that Tibbs is a guy, if you look at his rosters um, and the teams he's coached, this is not a guy who's going to be coaching a rebuilding team for that long. And I know the Knicks are in a rebuilding situation, but I expect them to be like very aggressive this off season. Um, whether that's, you know, signing Ben Vliet if they could, or, you know, making a trade that we don't exactly see coming. I the the NBA is a league where all of a sudden the guy, you know, request a trade out of nowhere and nobody sees it coming and next thing you know he's at a different spot like there's just so much movement around the league so I definitely expect the late picks and possibly Dallas picks to be very much like on the table even even the number eight pick to some extent but not not as much but I I expect there to be a decent amount of movement this offseason within the Knicks and in terms of assets so that is what I'm writing about this week which will be dropping on Friday very interesting and if the jazz lose tonight we're recording this on tuesday if the jazz lose game seven that's that conversation becomes a lot more interesting uh eli what do you got coming up um nothing in the immediate future i'm probably going to be having something got something a little bit in the works for a week or two from now on the Knicks wall but uh go read that obi Toppin profile put a lot of words on that and uh some pretty optimistic comparisons. So uh, yeah, go take a read and let me know what you think. Yeah, definitely do it. I highly recommend it. Good piece. And Mike, and, and Mike you mentioned uh, Donovan Mitchell tonight. Um, yeah. I, I, for in terms of a guy who could be possibly on the move this off season, if the jazz lose tonight, I'm not putting that out of the question because I could a hundred percent see him either a requesting a trade um, or just be the jazz be opening open to moving him given the jazz like they're kind of in a in an awkward spot where they're like right in the middle of like well every year we think we're going to be like take that next step but they're not really taking that next step like could it be time even though it's the trade Mitchell seems seems like an insane thing to do but if he were to possibly want out like maybe they want to get as much as they could before you know this becomes public not public knowledge and it drives down his value a little bit and they they are going to have to extend him within the next I mean, his rookie contract ends after 2021, I believe. So yep. extension would be coming. So I think that this is a huge offseason for that. So big implications tonight. Yeah, and I could see uh, OKC-type offer coming to the Jazz and the Jazz being like, they didn't want to trade Mitchell, but it's like, fuck it. I mean, that's too good of a deal to pass up. So yeah. very yeah. interesting. The unfortunate part is that the Knicks do not have the assets to make that. Well, no, they would have to give up literally OKC-esque offer where it's like five draft picks over the next X amount of years, your best players, every just everything. Yeah, so, they'd, have to, they'd have to give up pretty much everything they have. <laughs> yeah, so – but we'll look out for that later this week. We'll look out for Eli's piece in the near future. We're also doing a mock draft. I think Eli's in on that. Yes, so I am. be on the lookout for that. Draft season will be coming back as well. Jess Reinhardt and Nick Carante are on standby. They will be back soon. And, yeah, make sure you're getting those daily sims in on the TKW offseason app. And hopefully Eli and Dylan will be gracious enough to rejoin us soon. Thank you, guys. Yep, of course. Thanks for having me on. All right. Until next time. Take it easy. See ya. All right. Good stuff, guys.
Yeah, that was fun. Kyle that was good. Me for the length, but I liked it. Yeah, so while I have you guys here, would you guys be interested in a couple draft season pods? Those are just going to be literally straight draft, draft prospects. Yeah, kind of, sure. kind of like this I'm pod, down. probably a little more deep dive. Yeah, I'm seeing if if either of you guys would be willing to host one. Even let me know because I was going to kick it over to Jess as well to see if she was interested. But they would be like literally like 20, 30 minute pods deep diving on a certain prospect. So yeah, you I'm guys down. have any interest? Yeah, just yeah, that'd be fun. On Twitter. Yeah. All right, sounds good, Ben. Yeah, as we get closer, obviously, like with usually I dive into the draft when it gets a lot closer, um, like a more even deeper dive. But I mean, who knows when the draft's actually going to be? So <laughs> exactly. Now, if you're if you're into draft content, dude, yeah, let's get into it then. All right, bro, I'll hit you guys up. Thanks. All, All right. right, sounds good. Yeah.